Good morning, everybody. Oh, got ahead of myself there. Just when you thought it was safe, I'm back. It's a privilege to talk before you every time I have the opportunity, and thank you, Pastor Tim, for the opportunity to, to fill in. Back in the early 90s, Americans, most Americans had a fixation with angels. They were putting them on their dashboards, putting them on their, around their home. They were praying to them. They were worshiping them. And it was just a, quite a cultural phenomenon. And the executives at CBS wanted to tap into this, and they wanted to produce a show. And they contacted a, a woman named Martha Williamson and asked her to produce a show. Williamson is a very committed Christian, and she had a very different view of angels. She said angels are not perfect. We're not going to pray to angels. We're not going to worship angels. Angels are simply messengers of God. So I guess there was a little back and forth between her and the executives, and they finally agreed and let her produce the show. And lo and behold, Touched by an Angel, you guys remember that show? It ran from 1994 to 2003. There was over 200 episodes that were produced. And you can see the three main characters there are uh, Tess, Monica, and, and the angel of death, An Andrew. And at some point in the show, every show, these angels would come and they would intervene in a, in a plot where they were helping resolve some issue, and they would deliver a simple message, and that is, God loves you. Very simple, very powerful message. I got... Uh, um, and this message went out to millions of people because this show became syndicated and it went all over the world. So millions of people, every episode, got to, to be reminded that God loves them. I got to see the simple power of this message one time. I, several years ago, I would work on the weekend uh, for a landscaper, and he and I would drive around to the different job sites in his pickup truck. And, and Bert, uh, you'd have to know him. He's just the man's man. He's as strong as an ox, self-made, very independent, very opinionated. Um, and we'd talk back and forth during our travels to the job sites. And one time we must have been talking about spiritual subjects. And I turned to him and I said, Bert, God loves you. The cab of the truck went dead silent. I didn't know whether he was going to slam on the brakes and throw me out of the car or out of the truck. I looked over, and here's this hulking man quivering. He couldn't speak. His eyes were welled up with tears. And once he composed himself, he said, those are the same words that my dying grandfather told me 30 years ago. Very, very powerful message. That, that embedded in his mind over 30 years, and then to see this big man just melt is amazing. God's word tells us that he loves us. It's a very powerful message. And it's a message worth repeating because I think a lot of us either forget about it or sometimes it just doesn't get through. I mean, we were singing about it. It was coming off of our lips as we were worshiping. But do we really, in our heart of hearts, really believe that God loves us? Do we embrace that? Do we know that? So today I'm just going to talk about some things briefly that may impede us or separate us from, from God's love, see what God's word says about um, God's love, and then uh, wrap it up at the end. Some of the reasons that may cause impediments 
that separate us from God's love are internal doubts. One of my favorite authors is uh, John Eldridge. Uh, he wrote the book called uh, Wild at Heart. And most of his writings deal with Christian masculinity. You know, what's it like to be a Christian man? And he says that every man has a nagging question at every stage in his life, and that is, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes to be a good student, a good athlete? Do I have what it takes to be a good employee, a good husband? And do I have what it takes to be a committed follower of Christ? So men have these internal doubts. And he also said women have a different question that always nags them. And that is, am I lovely? Am I a, uh, is there someone that delights in me? Am I a beauty worth pursuing? So whether you're a man or a woman, just the way we're wired, we have these doubts. And it's just a small mental step to take that doubt that we have about ourselves to wonder if God, does God love us? And we can apply those doubts to the way God sees us. Another thing that separates us are external pressures. As you look around, we, we live in a performance-based society. You know, it starts early in childhood. You know, your parents say, you know, good boys and girls don't do this or that. And you go to school and you gotta get the grades. Go to college, you gotta get the grades to get the interviews and then you get your job and you're on probation and it just goes on and on and on. And even in marriage, I think sometimes knowingly or unknowingly, we probably put pressure on our spouses to perform or behave in a, in a certain way. But again, it's just a small mental step to apply those external pressure to our relationship with God. Am I good enough? Do I deserve his love? And another thing that might separate us is we may have a wrong view of God. Uh, we were singing about God, uh, our Heavenly Father. Um, and when we talk about our Heavenly Father, probably the first image that pops into your mind is your relationship with your earthly father. And there's a lot of churches that go out of their way to deliberately not use the word Heavenly Father because so many people have been verbally, emotionally, physically, and sexually abused by their father so that when you say the word or the phrase Heavenly Father, it puts an immediate barrier between people and God. So uh, your, how you view your earthly father can have a big impact on how you view your heavenly father. And I, I shared this with the men's ministry several months ago, is that uh, my view of my personal, my father was uh, one of a disciplinarian. Uh, whenever I would uh, do something wrong, he was very, very quick to uh, point that out to me in a variety of ways. Uh, I don't recall getting praised too many times. Um, so I tend to look at my father more as a boss, and I tend to look at God that way as, as a boss. But, um, and I struggle with that. Uh, it's something I'm, I'm continually working on. But one little funny story about my earthly father was uh, uh, I was 18. I was in the hospital. I was going to have knee surgery. And that was back in the day when you spent multiple days in the hospital. It's not like today where you, you're in and out the same day. So I was in there for one day for testing, and then that evening as I was in my room, my father stopped by after work, and we were chit-chatting, and, and all of a sudden he got real quiet, and he stands up, bends over my hospital bed, kisses me on the forehead, says he loves me, and walks out. Well, that was the first time I ever remembered my father telling me that he loved me. And as I was sitting there, I was speechless. I didn't know what to say or how to respond because, I mean, I knew he cared. He was always a good provider, but he, he just was never that showy about it. 
So as, as he left, I thought that was really strange. Then I started to get paranoid about it because I thought, well, they were testing me all day with x-rays and whatever they were doing. And I thought, oh my goodness, they, they found out I have cancer. They're going to take my whole leg off. And they told my parents, but they didn't tell me. And they're not, not going to tell me until I wake up. And, and I, I didn't sleep very well that night. So if you're a parent, please tell your kids that you love them very often. And if you're not in the habit of telling your kids that, you may want to think twice about doing it before they go into surgery. <laughs> Romans 8:39 talks about nothing can separate us from the love of God. And there's different things that we just rambled through that could impede us. We can either listen to the words in our mind or the misconceptions we have, or we can listen to the truth of, of God's word. And I think Paul was a realist, because if you look at the context of Romans, uh, this part of Romans, uh, he addresses basically all three of these. At the end of chapter 7, he describes himself as having an internal war going on in his mind about he wants to do the things that he should do, but he doesn't, and then he does the things that he hates to do. So he's got this internal thing going on in his mind. And he carries that into the beginning of chapter 8, where he talks about he's wrestling with his fleshly nature in the spirit. He's also dealing with the mindset of whether he's a slave or whether he's a son of God. So Paul knew we all had internal doubts. He had internal doubts. He also addressed external pressures. Uh, passage of Carl already is talking about troubles hardships, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or the sword. Not the dangers that we face today, but nonetheless, there were external pressures that could separate us and put a wedge between us and God's love. But Paul had a proper understanding of God's love, and he tried to remind his audience of that. Now, in our day, we, use, we overuse the word love. We say, like, I love ice cream. I love, probably crazy people say, I love the eagles. Um, I love my job, whatever. Um, but when you say you love your spouse, you're sort of then moving in a, a more of a direction that uh, the God's love is. So what I want to do is just talk about real quickly what the Old Testament says and what the New Testament says about love. And in the Old Testament, uh, the key word is loving kindness. In this passage from Psalms, it says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. And the word loving kindness is from the Hebrew word hesed, and it refers to a loyal, steadfast, or faithful love that stresses the idea of a belonging together of those in a love relationship. This word is used about 250 times in the Old Testament, and one of the more interesting uses it has is in the book of Hosea. Hosea was a minor prophet, and God had asked him to marry a prostitute. He married the prostitute, he loved her, he was faithful to her, but she was not faithful to him. He continued to love her and eventually she came back. And this whole thing that Hosea did was meant to be a living parable that God loves the nation of Israel even though they were not faithful to him. And he wants them to come back to him. So it's a loyal, steadfast, or faithful love that stresses the idea of belonging together in a love relationship. In the New Testament, um, Paul says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. 
The Greek word is agape, and what that means is it's a God's agape love is unmerited, gracious, and constantly seeking the benefit of the ones he loves. 1 John 4.18 says that God is love. So God not only merely loves, but he is love itself. Love is his nature. He will be true to his nature. God is love. And one of the best and probably the ultimate expression of his love was displayed at the cross, and we, we sang about that earlier. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, it says, God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now we should be, loved, we should be glad that God's agape love is unmerited, gracious, and constantly seeking our benefit because we are a mess. I don't know if that's a little boy or a little girl under all that mud. But apart from Christ, that's how God views us. That picture is supposed to represent the mess that sin is in our life, the depravity of human nature. It is just despicable. It is ugly. It is, it is a mess. The good news is that Jesus came to clean us up. We can't clean ourselves up. As a matter of fact, the prophet Isaiah says that our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. And just a little bit of insight, not to be too graphic, but the filthy rags is not just from cleaning up dirt on the floor, it's a menstrual cloth. So in God's eyes, apart from Christ, our righteous deeds are just disgusting. But because of Jesus who came and died and paid the penalty for our sins, we can be clean. We can become children of God so that when that happens, when we place our faith and trust in Christ, invite him into our life to rule and to reign, God no longer sees us like that. I couldn't find a before and after picture, otherwise I would put it up. But imagine just taking a fire hose of this kid and just cleaning him off. We would be clean. That's how God sees us. And when we become followers of Christ, at that instant of becoming his son, there's a great exchange that takes place. All of the righteousness of Jesus is placed in our account. So that when God looks at us, he doesn't see that messy person. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. Second Corinthians says, uh, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And to further substantiate that in Romans, it says, For if by the transgression of the one, he's talking about Adam there, Death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So when we accept Jesus, we're given the gift of righteousness so we no longer look like that in God's eyes. We are clean. We're cleansed, we're justified, we're declared righteous. The problem is we usually don't see ourselves like that. We all recognize that we stumble, we fall, we sin. We're surrounded by similar people, flawed people. We live in a flawed world. Just watch the news. You don't have to be reminded. Uh, uh, you don't have to look very far. The world is a mess. So it's real easy for us to see ourselves as messed up like that. And, you know, why would God love us? But the truth is, 
that God does love us. He does, when he looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. He does not see the mess that's there. But we have a choice whether or not we're going to listen to the voices inside of our head that are wrong or whether or not we're going to listen to the truth of Scripture. When we do sin, there's probably two major voices that, that you hear. One is a voice of condemnation, and the one is probably a voice of conviction. Condemnation comes from the evil one. He wants to tear you down. He wants to bear you. He wants to rub your nose in all of your mistakes so that you never forget it. He wants you to think that you look like that in God's eyes. He wants you to think that you're not worthy of God's love. That's condemnation. Conviction is where God's Holy Spirit comes and wants to lift us up. He reminds us that what you did was wrong. You need to confess that. And God is gracious. He will forgive us. It's, when we sin as Christians, our standing with God does not change. We are still righteous in his eyes, which is hard to imagine, but it's true. Our fellowship is, is broken, but our position with him is not. It's kind of like if you have a fight with your spouse, you're still married, but the relationship is broken. Or if you have a spat with your parents, you know, you're still part of the same family, but there's a little bit of rift there. So you need to make things right. We make things right with God by just simply acknowledging that we have fallen short and we confess our sins. And he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us again. There's no limit to God's graciousness. And when we do fall, here's a verse for you. It says, The Lord's loving kindness indeed, or excuse me, His kindnesses indeed never cease for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You see, God expects more failure from us than we do of ourselves. The day that he saved us, the day that we became a son or daughter of him, he saw the rest of our lives. He knows how many times we're going to fail him. He knows how many times we're going to let him down. That didn't stop him from loving us. Think about King David. He was an adulterer. And then he tried to cover it up with murder and then a conspiracy. Ultimately, he repented of that. But he had, he had consequences to that. But he knew that God still loved him. Imagine the Apostle Paul. He was a, an accomplice with the stoning of uh, Stephen, the first martyr. And he went on, Paul went on to arrest many other Christians and persecute other Christians before he came to faith in Christ. God, there's no limit to God's grace. There is no sin that he cannot forgive. Now, having said that, I just want to be clear that that's not a license for us to live like the devil. The book of James is very clear that a, a genuine saving faith will result in good works, but the good works follow the saving faith. So if you are a believer in Christ, your life should be marked with actions and attitudes that are reflective of Jesus. Let me just end close or in close with John 3.16. I got your Hebrew in, Linda. So no matter how you say it, for God so loved the world, it's a very powerful message. It's worth repeating. So if you have trusted Jesus... I just hope this message encourages you going forward, at least in 2017, that whatever baggage you have 
You don't have to carry that. You're clean in God's eyes. Forgive it. You're forgiven. And I just want to remind you of the fact that God really does love you because that enables you to love him back. You can reciprocate that when you know he, how much he really loves you. It also helps you to love other people because when you realize we're really not worthy of God's love, but he loves us anyway, that's the way he wants us to treat others. So again, the greatest commandment, you know, loving God and loving others. And if you haven't trusted Jesus, you know, the rest of this verse is, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And you can have that gift of everlasting life, but it's just a simple act of faith. You cannot earn it. You cannot merit it by being rich or intelligent or good-looking or whatever. It's by faith and faith alone. And you become a child of God, and from this moment forward, you will be righteous. So if any of you would like to know more about that or, or get clarification, please see me or one of the pastors. We would love to introduce you to Jesus. God loves you. It's a message that is very powerful and it's definitely worth repeating. I'll close now and the worship team can come forward. I'll pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you for the simplicity and the power of the message of your love. We sing about it, Lord, and I just pray that it sinks into our hearts and our minds. I pray that it is a powerful force that will help us, Lord, as we deal with the struggles that we all face. I pray that we could deliver that message to our friends, our family, our neighbors, Lord, and just watch them melt when they know that somebody loves them. I thank you, Father, for your unconditional love of me, your patience. I love you, Father. I pray this in your name. Amen.